right, hey gang, welcome to Big Brother and the Hodling Company. It's the podcast about music and Web3 and trying to fend off Big Brother. Uh, I'm McKeegan Boyce. Today I spoke with Hanno, who is an artist, producer, engineer, community organizer, and Web3 builder. Hanno is a first-generation Ethiopian, Eritrean, American who grew up in Maryland in a neighborhood with frequent police intervention and brutality. And in his own words, he never thought he'd live this long. Now today he's worked with artists like Mick Jenkins, JPEG Mafia, and Snoop Dogg. And he was named part of the inaugural NFT 100, which is curated by NFT Now. Heno has been able to leverage successful NFT, that's non-fungible token, releases and turn them into millions of streams on Spotify. And he's paying it forward, giving a hefty portion of his profits to restorative justice efforts. We dove into all of this. Hope you all enjoyed the conversation. Here we go. Hanno, it's really good to have you here. Great to be here, man. How you doing today? Doing well, doing well, doing well. Uh, you know, it's uh, kind of dark here in London and cold and gloomy, but that that's just January. I wish I was, uh, you know, hanging in Joshua Tree with you. <laughs> yeah, man, it's, it's, been, it's been a beauty out here. It's been really quiet. So just being able to lock in and disconnect a little bit has been been pretty fruitful for the creative process out here but you know i'm glad to at least be back in california i got back a few days ago after being in maryland for a few weeks so good to kind of kick back get back into the swing of things yeah absolutely i can think of you know a few places that that are more conducive to the creative process than you know like being in joshua tree Mm -hmm. um but yeah, thanks for being here. Thanks for your time. Uh, you know, I always like to start at the beginning and just, you know, dive a little bit more into your story, understand, you know, where you grew up and and when, you know, your relationship with music started. Um, so I'm from Tacoma Park, Maryland, in the DMV. I was on the borderline of DC and Maryland. Uh, and my my journey in music started as a fan and listener, obviously. Um, just my parents and my family just listened to so many different styles of music. Um, like my father put me onto a lot of Motown and soul music and stuff that you could feel, um, funk, um, and a lot of Ethiopian jazz. Mm. Whereas, you know, my brother was listening to a lot of hip hop. My, my older sister was listening to 90s R&B and pop records. And, uh, yeah, my mom was into like reg- isn't written to reggae and other stuff too. So like just mm. kind of being around so much music. But you know, I'm also a first generation Ethiopian and Eritrean. So in my mm. household, music was enjoyed, but it wasn't like you know to ever be taken as a craft or to do something like professionally. You know, mm-hmm. it was always like be a doctor or a lawyer. Um, so there, you know, I was heavy in like medical stuff. But I say this to say I was always fascinated with. I was going to get into neuropsychology because I was always fascinated mm. with studies of the brain and how mm-hmm. music affected development in our, you know, like can affect de- de- development and things of that nature. And, um, and yeah, I just started to listen to a lot of music and uh, didn't know I was learning music theory by just mm-hmm. listening to records and going, oh, this is a chorus, this is a verse, this is a mm. section of this. And um, was obsessed listening to just so many CDs all the time and kind of memorizing things. And that ultimately yielded into me starting to do a lot of creative writing, just like more, more like abstract writing, even spoken word and poetry. 
and then mixing that with a lot of battle rap that I was, you know, I'm from the East Coast, so battle rap is, you know, culture is a thing. So hmm. that all meshed into, okay, I'm going to start putting words and onto paper and expressing myself. So that was really what it was, self-expression. And once I started to really write, I was like, oh, okay, cool. And um, production kind of came along later when I had teachers and people like in my life who kind of were recognizing that where I'm from was a very active environment. So I was outside doing a lot of things and they recognized I had a lot of talent and was a very hard worker at like what I wanted. So kind of being put in positions where people would kind of help support me doing music and like mm-hmm. creating safe spaces for me to create is kind of what like, you know, it was the first time like in high school where I like could work on music all day and not have to go to class because teachers were like, just stay here and make stuff. Hmm. And like being encouraged in a way where I didn't really get at home. So I, fast forward, you know, that turned into me like actually doing shows and, you know, like locally getting a lot of attention, but then uh, kind of decided to want to take it more seriously when opportunities started to present themselves in California and just wanting to step out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. I'm big on wanting to find comfort within the uncomfortable. So like moving on my own to the Bay Area and in LA and figuring it all out. And what I feel like was me putting in my 10,000 hours and, you know, that that's turned into a pretty, pretty dope career to this point. Hmm. To say the least. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And before we dive into the career, um, you know, I'd love to go back and, it, you know, am, so am I correct in my understanding that, that you had teachers who recognized your talent to the extent that they basically let you skip school just to make music? Yeah. So shout out to Miss Greer. She was a TV productions teacher at John F. Kennedy High School. And my second year in junior high school, I mean, not, I mean, my second year as a junior in high school, she was just like fascinated that I knew a lot about music and film. I'm big into film. So like just understanding cinematography and like shot selection and the importance of treatments and just doing all this type of stuff. Like my parents wouldn't let me take these classes, but she was just like, you're, you know, more than the the students that I have and you're not even in my class. So she was just like, and she knew what I was kind of getting into and what I was around. So she was like, we made an agreement. She just told me you can skip class, but you can't skip school. Like, so it was weird. Like I spent my second half of junior year and all of my senior year being able to make. She gave me a, a, a GoPro. Yeah. So shout out to Miss Greer. She was a TV <laughs> production teacher at John F. Kennedy High School. And my second year in junior high school, I mean, not, I mean, my second year as a junior in high school, she was just like fascinated that I knew a lot about music and film. I'm big into film. So like just mm. understanding cinematography and like shot selection and the importance of treatments and just doing all this type of stuff. Like my parents wouldn't let me take these classes, but she was just like, you're, you know, more than the, te- the students that I have and you're not even in my class. So she was just like, and she knew what I was kind of getting into and what I was around. So she was like, we made an agreement. She just told me you can skip class, but you can't skip school. Hmm. Like, so it was weird. Like I spent my second half of junior year and all of my senior year being able to make, she gave me a, a, a GoPro, gave me a, a, a Mac to use. 
uh, and built like a studio for me with like a snowball microphone, gave me GarageBand Logic, Final Cut, and I was able to just record music, make beats, and uh, film like little like short videos and stuff. And I was editing them and was getting encouraged to put them out on, you know, we were filmed, we would show them at the announcement. So the people was just seeing, I was doing a lot of creative stuff and, you know, we ended up putting it on YouTube and started to go viral on YouTube in high school, like having mm. hundreds of thousands of views. It like, wow. you know, at a time where YouTube wasn't really like big, big and just seeing like the internet as well as just people in my life going, you need to keep doing this. Um, mm -hmm. Even though it wasn't mm -hmm. something that I was encouraged to do kind of motivated me to do a lot and learn a lot. Like I had to teach myself all of these skills. I didn't have any formal training playing the piano or like learning the drums or, you know, even like making beats. I had to just spend time making a lot of bad, <laughs> a lot of bad music to then learn mm -hmm. how to make good music. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> to say That's the way least, it works. But That's the way it works. That I honestly feel like that shit changed the trajectory of my life because knowing and having that belief you know despite everyone and everything saying you're crazy for trying to do music was like mm. all i really needed um to have the battery in my back and then you know that 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 really set me off and in, into like diving more into learning and just soaking up as much as i could um, and i also want to just say on that note like i feel like a lot of the skills i learned came from necessity so like i did i was writing a lot and i was writing so much that the producers i was working with couldn't didn't have as much time to make all these beats so i would just have so much writing that i would start buying beats and then i'm like okay buying beats is expensive i might as well just learn how to make beats because i need but i need to learn how to communicate what types of things i like right you know it's so like that I learned out of necessity or like engineering, I couldn't keep going to the studio to like pay for studio time. So I was like, let me record myself. Let me learn how to do this. And like, mm. you know, those skills now serve me to like, even when I'm in studios, I can communicate with other producers because it's a language. I can communicate right, with other engineers because right. it's a language that I've learned. Or like, you know, I think that you kind of have to be a person to wear multiple hats in whatever you're doing so that when you come across different fields or different, industries are different whatever and when collaborating you have a better sense of what you like what you don't like and you can communicate those things yeah. um, even film and like editing like and knowing like what types of shots i'm into or like what type of directing like i direct videos that i that i do and hmm. i can work with other film people and go this is the type of stuff i'm interested in and that process is easier to understand than like having no vision at all so I think knowledge itself is really important with all of those things. Yeah. I know that's a random tidbit, but um, <laughs> no, no, not I at all. It's important I mean, to highlight in, I guess, my early journey. For sure. I mean, the more that you can communicate, you know, the nuances of the craft, the more, you know, the, you know, I guess the closer you can get to your vision, you know, while working with other people mm -hmm, you know, who mm -hmm. have expertise, in, you know, in these I think crafts. that shit is really important. Yeah. So you're in high school and you're starting to put out, you know, these videos on YouTube and you're starting to see some success, you know, some virality, uh, you know, what happened next? You know, what was kind of the, the thing that pushed you over the edge was like, okay, this is what I need to do next to take my next step, you know, toward being an artist. Like this is my Yeah. Career. Um, I was so obsessed. 
I think that like you gotta really whatever it is you do, you gotta love the process of it as much as you mm-hmm. love more than you love the end result of wherever it's going. So like I was obsessed with the process of making beats or sampling or writing. I was just I like I don't care if it spent if I spent twelve hours and I didn't eat like I'd be like I just would wake up and think about that and mm-hmm. you know when it came to like graduating high school and going into college and like I went to Howard University and hmm. like I said, I've had a medical background. So I was, I was a licensed CNA working as a certified nursing assistant working at hospitals and retirement homes around a lot of old people. Um, having, and, I, and I'm the type of person I love, I love older people for the sake of them having just wisdom and like, right. I'm, I'm a humble person. I'm a student of life. So Anybody that's that's learned something or anybody that has a story or has a perspective, I'm always open to hearing it, you know, regardless of if I agree with it or not, I'm open to kind of having these conversations and soaking up what I can. And it was a lot of, you know, people in retirement homes I was working with that were like really sad. They had no one visiting them and they sat and like kind of regretted a lot of like what they were, you know, what their lives came to be. And, Mm. you know it'd be people i'd have i'd hear people going man i should have told her that i loved her like i should have mm. i always wanted to go to paris and i wish i did and now they just watch <laughs> documentaries or watch youtube videos about paris and i'm like damn mm. like i don't want my life to be like what what i could have done mm-hmm. you know so like i was having a lot of these and i was licensed at like 17 working till like 19 or so so i was like it was just a formidable age to have these type of conversations and like right. understand like that you there's not a lot of things you can control in life but you can but focus on the things you can and at the time I was going to Howard like I said I was a full-time student I was working two jobs I was like you know what I mean trying to do music as well I was mm-hmm. in a shitty relationship at the time like it was just like so many things and i was looking and i had to take a step back to go yo what do i actually want to do versus what do i have to do and that was the first i think big eureka moment in my life um where i had to i wrote i wrote it out i was like what do i want to do like what am i passionate about and then i was like okay what do i have to do to sustain myself and to like be comfortable and like to have like you know and when I looked at them not being the same thing, I realized the only way to really be happy in life is if you make the thing that you're passionate about, make the thing that you're like, you're obsessed about and the things mm-hmm. that you love, make those mm-hmm. the things that financially sustain you and like make those the things that like that, that bring you stability, you know, and even if it means work relentlessly or like put in the time to make that a thing. I just feel like I was in a point where I was disconnected from what I was in love with and was just kind of dreading what I had to do. And once I realized this music shit is really what I want to do and it it, it put me in a mode where I'm like, I'm going to put it on myself to, you know, do this for real. We were doing, I was every semester of school, I was doing shows. Like I'd go to New York and do a show or I'd do some shows in DC or in Maryland or I'd go to Philly. And I was just like, I'm like, yo, like shit is moving. Like, but like, I'm not putting in the time I need to because I'm spending a lot of time studying and catching up on work and like all this stuff. And I, I, I got an opportunity ultimately um, in at the end, like towards the second half of 2014 to come out to Oakland to uh, kind of shadow and like be around some like these like 
jazz blues artists that um, were really liking what I was doing. And my like friend was an, was a, was an intern at their like indie label. And she was just like, she set it up and, you know, I was just like, yo, I'm down to go out there and just kind of soak up game, make music and like figure out what I want to do. And hmm. uh, yeah, I just remember working. It was like my first week of junior year in college. And I just was at, at one of my jobs and I just had a moment that just, I was like, fuck it. And I bought a one-way ticket to California and was like, I have four months to figure this out. And I've made some calls and, you know, it just, one thing led to another. And, you know, about the start of 2015, that's when I like, like two, like December 29th, 2014 was when I moved right before New Year's to, to the mm-hmm. Bay Area. And yeah, I just... I was blessed and fortunate to have people, um, my, my friend who I was referring to, uh, her family was just, they just were like, you are a nice guy. And they just saw how determined I was. And they were just like, do you want to stay here for a year and figure it out? Hmm. Instead of trying to struggle and find an apartment to rent. And it was like that opportunity presented itself just because I took the leap. It wasn't something I went there. I had no plan. I was like, I'm just going to figure it out. But the universe... I feel like rewarded me for making that decision. And yeah. that first year of California, I didn't pay rent. I was just in the Bay Area, like at my friend's parents' house and in Daly City, California. And I just figured everything out. Was going to LA, was was determined to meet people. And the more I started to share my story with people, I realized that like when you're honest and like, you know, you're driven and like come with the right intentions. I feel like people could pick up that from me in just being out there. Like, so I would, it, the Bay Area was very embracing to me in a way that like I needed in my development as a as an artist and a producer, but also as a person. Mm-hmm. And going back and forth between the Bay and LA, I ended. You know, I've lived in each for four years at this point in my life, and um, built community in each area because I felt like that was really important to do. Um, it was easier to build community in the Bay than it was in LA, but sure enough, both were done and over like me doing a lot of stuff. And, um, but yeah, it all came from like, I need to do what I want to do because I don't want to sit and regret what I didn't do. And even if I have to work relentlessly to fight and make this be a thing that like is sustaining me like as a person and what I need then I like, I, I just put it on myself at that point. And it, yeah, I feel like the universe slowly but surely was kind of molding to that. And that's, yeah, that speaks to a lot of like the energy I had early in my, uh, in my career out here or like in my journey, moving to California and figuring things out. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, that takes a ton of courage. Mm-hmm. Uh, Especially when everyone that you love is calling you crazy. And like (laughs) friends, family, like I realized though, but people are quick to put their own limitations on you because they don't know how they don't see the work that you put in by yourself or, you know, like I was reading a thing um, about the Chinese bamboo tree and Mm. I think it it said something about the uh, Chinese bamboo tree spends about five years growing underground. Like mm. before anything sprouts out of the ground, five years are spent growing 
under soil. Wow. But then once it breaks soil, in the matter of months, it'll skyrocket and, and grow as tall as like, you know, 90 feet or some crazy shit. Wow. And that speaks to, you know, a lot of your growth people aren't going to see. Yeah, yeah, You know, that's about what you're, you know, the time you're spending on your craft or the time you're spending getting better, improving, learning, growing. But then, mm -hmm. you know, sure enough, when you do put that time in, things start to click and things start to make sense. And But like some people are reluctant to even try because they don't know where to start. But sometimes it's just about doing it like and, and fuck up on the process, like embrace right. failure. Uh, you know, like I, I can, I can't control the situations or the circumstances that I go through, but I can control if I keep going, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that that's a matter of our perspective. You can control your perspective and how you look at things. You may not control totally. the weather outside, but you can control what you wear going outside. <laughs> you can even control if you go outside. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, there's, there's a lot of wisdom I was picking up on and just like not stopping. Like I had a lot of friends that just stopped being artists because it didn't work out or like they just weren't as driven. And I'm just like, the only difference between me and whoever is just that I just didn't say no. I just didn't yeah. say, okay, I'm done. Even though life presented many opportunities where I could have easily been like, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. You know, I've gone through a lot of traditional industry stuff where I was like, okay, starting to see the smoke clear and go, you know, is this even what I want to do? But sure enough, like things present themselves and, and, and it's all about timing. So, yeah, yeah, I know I just said a lot of stuff. <laughs> no, that's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I love yeah. the bamboo metaphor. That's, that's cool. And it speaks to a lot of, you know, the way that life works. Um, yeah, I, I think, I don't know, like I, I, I've taken, I'm a very introspective person. So like mm -hmm. I have to really sit and like think about what i'm doing intentionally but also like if things make sense and sometimes it's you know these type of metaphor these type of analogies that kind of speak to our ability and how we want to move that just resonate and kind of have stayed with me over the course of uh of my life and stuff absolutely it's that kind of thing that we need to hold close especially like you know in the face of resistance you know like you said it's it's all about resilience and just continuing mm -hmm. to move forward and you know like one of the most powerful things is like having a totem or like having um you know like a core intention that you hold close you know something like you know like the bamboo for instance i'm going to keep that in mind for instance as i move forward into things hell yeah i'm glad, I'm glad that resonates absolutely you know, I wanted to ask you about this because I think it's important context for, uh, you know, before diving into more of the contents, you know, of your music. Um, but, you know, in one of your mirror pieces, and this is, you know, a big part of your work, but you wrote, in full transparency, I never really saw myself living this long. And I know there's a lot of context to be explored there, and it's and it, it seems to inform a lot of your music. So I wanted to be sure we touched on on that and understand kind of the context of where you're coming from when you know, when you wrote that, um, you, you know, and how that story has found its way, you know, into your art. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like I said, I come from Tacoma Park, Maryland, and it's an environment, at least at the time when I was born and where I was growing up, that it was a very active environment. So, like, literally, I lived in a project building called Park Ritchie, 
and then two buildings over is our elementary school and mm-hmm. and then behind that is our middle school and next to that is a police station and next to that is a library and all of this is in like a two like a block and a half two blocks vicinity obviously you have a mm-hmm. whole neighborhood but when you talk about like a lot of experiences i was dealing with had a lot of uh, early law enforcement experiences whether it was being mistaken uh, as a drug dealer at six years old and being handcuffed um to a table and having my parents called in asking me asking them if i'm selling drugs or if it you know if it's, you know, like law, like police officers breaking into our house several times, more than a handful mm. of times with no warrants or anything, whether it's, you know, people getting locked up, all this type of stuff was very, very normalized. And then, I, you know, growing up and traveling and learning uh, and having conversations with so many people, I realized a lot of what I normalized growing up and internalized and dealt with was very much not the case in a lot of places. And then I would go and do research and go, oh, Maryland had the, one of the highest incarceration rates of young black men from 18 to 25 where I was, when I was growing up. Oh, that makes sense as to why we dealt with so much crazy shit. I've had, you know, guns pointed at me for simply existing. Like, I've been in many a situation. Just, and that's just me scratching the, 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 the tip of the iceberg as far as, like, like a lot of over-policed situations and, mm-hmm. you know, also recognizing how shitty the incarceration system is right um you know just because our you know communities that i'm from don't really have a lot of resources to help people who are dealing with whether it's like nonviolent crimes or just you know equip people with resources or tools to become more proactive members of society so we have a lot of recidivism take place where people who are coming out of jail and and just to compare this in california there are laws that don't just that that prevent discrimination of if you're a felon or if you have a record whereas in many Mm -hmm. other states like where i'm from that's not the case so if you're a felon or have a warrant or have like any type of misdemeanor or whatever like you can't go get a job simply Mm -hmm. anywhere you have to really you know and that forces people who are coming out of jail to go back into you know go back in they end up doing the same things that got them into jail and then it mm-hmm. creates a cycle that just um, I've seen so many of my friends and family members and people in my life go through. And I've been blessed and fortunate despite everything I've been through and I've seen and I've experienced and I've done whatever. Like I've been fortunate enough to always stay out of it all and to be in a position where I'm like, OK, I need to pay this forward because there are a lot of people who share my experience and share these stories or share this sentiment, but can't speak on it. And, mm. you know, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not somebody that's so holier than thou or speaking like I'm, you know, better than anybody else. I'm just, like I said, in that mirror article, I'm just a real ass person that's been through some real ass shit. Mm. And I'm trying to help people who have been through similar things and also speak and normalize these conversations. I think, right. I think when we talk about like environments like this, you know, you, it's always painted like like um it's always painted one way and i think that there's so many other vantage points to our experience our collective experience especially black people and 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 not and and obviously other marginalized communities but i think i think it's important to again 
I try to, with my music, have conversations or push to have conversations, whether they make you uncomfortable or not. Um, because I think that that's growth is on the other side of that discomfort for anyone. Right. right. Um, and just, you know, this was even prior to Web3. So getting into Web3 and like learning about how intentional work, especially work that has a lot of storytelling in it, um, you know, people really resonate with. I found a space that people really want to have these conversations as opposed to, you know, sometimes when having conversations in traditional music, it's more so like, what's the next single? What's the marketing plan? What's the, what's the content strategy? When it's right. just like, you know, when I got into Web3, I was hearing a lot of people say, hey, what inspired this record? What inspired these stories? Yeah. You know, it's, it's a whole different conversation. And for me, as someone that's very intentional and speaks to a lot of stories and tries to drive conversation and is trying to do something bigger than self, I saw a home here to, to emphasize that here in Web3. And then if people just want to listen to the music, they can listen to it when it comes out. But I want to have the conversations here or, and, and drive people to come here and meet me here or I'll meet you over here and just put it out on DSPs. Hmm. and that in a nutshell as far as like where i'm from what inspired this these these conversations or this type of work that i'm doing and creating but also what i'm trying to do with said work whether it's working and partnering with nonprofits, whether it's you know tapping in with with web3 and and doing um doing drops that that give back to organizations that are doing work around recidivism or even um or even bail assistance for nonviolent crimes and just those things just speak to who i am and where i'm from and trying to create opportunities as well as just share and shine light on like the reality that many people you may not see you know you may not see a, a hashtag or somebody you know what i mean but like there are stories that just don't get talked about at all yeah you know i i you know in 2013 was assaulted by multiple law enforcement like police mm. officers and i've had an i was dragged by my dreads i had a knee mm. on my neck for a considerable amount of time i know exactly what that feels like not being able to breathe so you mm. know what i'm saying like i it, but like you like i'm just a regular person i'm mm. not you know i didn't get a hashtag thank god but like there's so many people that don't that just have these type of experiences and then they just got to sit with it or go to therapy. And it's like, right. for me, I'm like, now nah, we have to really normalize talking about these type of things and make space for people who are trying to heal from it. Uh, Cause I'm, I'm more fortunate than other people to be in a position now where I can actually try to do things actively around that. Uh, but it's not to be like a hero about it. It's not to be like, I don't, again, I'm not on some soul holier than thou shit. It's really just mm -hmm. like, yo, I just care about this. And I don't, and I think that showing up in a way that matters or a way that like is intentional and genuine is the best approach with anything. So this is yeah. just my approach. Yeah. I mean, I think that's beautiful. And that, you know, that definitely comes through like the, you know, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't seem like there's a, you know, there's a holier than thou it seems like you know you know the prison industrial complex is you know really fucked up and you've had direct experience with it and now 
you have an opportunity to use your art to and that to bring people closer to that truth and to that reality and mm -hmm. you know that's an incredible use of you know of your platform so again, thank you power to i you. appreciate you saying that man thank you for real you know so what was the you know what was the moment when you first encountered web3 where you realized that oh, people are more curious about you know about my story and about you know about the context like when did you know what was your introduction so i want i want to shout out um my my friend tara moves or tara morris her artist name is tara moves um she is an amazing visual artist animator and a collaborator of mine who does a lot of my visuals for shows and things like that and we have been working with each other for a few years and i just remember during the pandemic actually before the pandemic one of my cousins told me hey there's this thing where people are selling their music for crypto and i was that's what 2019 and i did i wasn't ready i was just like i don't even know bro like that sounds like a lot <laughs> so that was the first time i ever heard about web3 and that's not, but it was tara in 2021 in the pandemic that said hey you need to learn what web3 is you need to understand what nfts are you need to understand why it's important and I think at that point, I had probably, I had missed the TikTok wave where people were really just kind of blowing up on TikTok and doing a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I just wasn't, I didn't, you know, not to be that guy, but I didn't, I'm not the biggest person on TikTok, like I, at all. Um, I don't really have an interest in it, but I understand it's importance marketing. But when I saw Web3, right. I was like, I'm not going to miss this the way I missed TikTok. I'm going to really actually give this a chance and see what, is going on here so that, that enabled i just went into a lot of um this was probably march april 2021 i was just going into clubhouse rooms hmm. back when clubhouse was cool <laughs> <laughs> but and twitter spaces had just become a thing so i'm not the best on social media i go through social media anxiety sometimes in full transparency mm -hmm. so like I, I i'm a much better speaker than i am a texter I, th I have a lot of thoughts so i just you know i'll struggle to write a caption but if it's talking about something i'm oh yeah let's talk like you can mm -hmm. hear my tone you mm -hmm. can understand where i'm coming from much totally. better than if i'm just texting you so when twitter space became a thing i was joining a lot of rooms and just hearing the conversations happening at first it was conversations on the tech and use cases but then i was going to music drops so it'd be like an artist releasing on catalog and it'd be like oh talk about this record and what it means to you and just those mm. conversations were so refreshing just to kind of hear people really show up and want to know about this deeper context and this deeper story behind behind music. And that led me to think, yo, I have music at that point in time. I had music that, you know, may I have had most like hella plays, but there were like some deep stories there and some conversations that I thought were really cool. And I was seeing people then start to release old work that they had put out in web two or traditional mm -hmm. music and then Put them out in web3 and yield success i remember seeing like latasha shout out to her mm -hmm. she she mm -hmm. had minted a music video that she had put on youtube maybe a year or two prior but put it on zora and made a lot of uh, made a lot of eth mm -hmm. and i was just like wow like they're people are taking content and stuff that they love and stuff that they want to do and, and sharing it in a world where it's still new to new people but people want to have this deeper connection to the artist and for me, it just kind of all made sense. And I decided to just show up in as many rooms as I could. And I spent five months from April 2021 to like September 
just learning and soaking mm-hmm. up game, mm-hmm. showing up and uh, and showing love. I would reach mm-hmm. out to artists that I thought were dope. I would just DM them like, hey, I like not to shill, not to say, hey, I got this project. I need you to support. Do it just, mm-hmm. hey, my name is Hendo. I make music. I seen this thing that you did. This is cool. Keep mm-hmm. it up. Just mm-hmm. wanted to, and then, you know, if, if given time to be a speaker, ask thoughtful questions. People really right. appreciate it. Remember you showing up in their Twitter spaces. So like I was building community with people and just ha- making friends in Web3 for months before I even said, hey, I'm about to drop a thing. And I think people saw my intentionality and just wanting to be in community with all these people and just learning together. And I, right. all the opportunities I've ever gotten in Web3 came from that. It came from just showing up. So like getting my first, uh, I got, I was, shout out to Black NFT Art and Umbadima. They are organizations based in Atlanta that put me in my first exhibit um, mm. for Web3. And I minted my Genesis piece um, in collaboration with an artist named Don Jaye. And it was for this Crossroads exhibit. And I just mm. remember going to Atlanta and seeing a room of more than 100 Black people in a room together because of Web3. And that was so mm. powerful to me. I was meeting mm. folks like Andre O'Shea or seeing like NFT Now present doing coverage. I was meeting just so many people who were prominent in the space and they just saw me in my, you know, share my NFT perform. And that got me invited to other things like performing at other places just because I was showing up and for the sake of showing up and not wanting anything. It was just, and, and, you know, Latasha booked me for Zora, uh, one of the, the first Zoratopias, it was called Crypto Cookout during NFT NYC. Mm. And then from there, that's led to me doing four or five Zoratopias at this point, um, oh. all of last year. And it was just people saw my intentionality, people saw I was showing up. And I felt like a lot of opportunities came from just that um, and not trying to be so, like, I don't need to step on anybody else to get up. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm pretty secure in myself as an artist, but also care a lot about building relationships with people i don't care i don't care too much about companies it's more about people for me so like yeah you know you could not be at a company tomorrow it's more about are you like what do you stand for are you a person of integrity and, hmm. you know those things matter to me and i think people over time started to see that in my music and also just in how i carry myself and from there you know that's presented a lot of opportunities in web3 and now kind of emerging as one of the like uh, hip hop artists in the space that's doing a lot, but also taking it back to traditional music. I think there's a lot to be said about, you know, there are people who are getting success in traditional music that are then going, oh, I can take this song that has a million plays or have a song that's big. I can put that out on Web3. But there aren't many people who are like saying, hey, let me like put this out Web3 native and then do it the mm-hmm. other way and build leverage in the traditional world. And I feel like I'm one of these use cases, at least in hip hop that's doing it. And, um, but also again, everything for me is tied back to the social impact stuff as well. So I just, I don't, I don't really, yeah, I think, I think just being myself has put me in a lot of these positions, um, to be honest. And I'm grateful because, I kind of I come into the, all of these things with like no ego at all, like, and I think that's something that people also pick up on me is like, I just want to show up and see how I can add value and help, and um, I think that that is the best way to 
um, kind of approach. So like just to recap, showing up mm-hmm. um, IRL, but also like online, mm-hmm. uh, learning as much as I could on my own so that if I had mm-hmm. questions, you know, I, I shout out to Black Dave and folks like Stones mm-hmm. the Organic. Uh, th- those are people that I, I could just call whenever I had questions and they would just, because they saw I was putting in the effort, were down right. to help me. Because I had a mentor that once told me, when you ask for help, you get advice. And you ask for advice, you get help. So right. I always go to people asking for advice because they can see I'm trying to help myself more right. the, more so than just, hey, man, I know nothing about Web3. Teach me everything. Yeah, what is no one, Web3? And I'm sure you <laughs> probably have encountered people that are like that. And I'm just like, I try my best and I've onboarded a lot of people in Web3, but mm-hmm. I always make sure that I'm going to show the effort and show up so that when it's time to ask for whatever, like people at least know that I've, I'm not just you know, kind of mooching. It's like I'm, I'm building too, but want to always build smarter and better. And I think that's something that people can obviously like tell, you know, when I'm not trying to pick anyone's brain, even, <laughs> you know, it's just like how, if you have questions, it's cool to ask questions, but those things yeah. helps with then me just doing everything now. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's, that's the way to be and that's sort of the, you know, a lot of the core aspects around, you know, community building in general, but like, you know, a lot of what's happening in Web3 is this kind of movement away from, you know, purely transactional, uh, you know, collaboration to more, to more of a reciprocal interdependence where like, you know, everybody's building in this space, the people that are here right now. And like, you know, everybody knows that. And you can tell right away if someone is like interested in contributing to it in a meaningful way and wanting to build community and expand, you know, upon that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, that seems, that seems like the right approach that, that you've taken. And, and, and I want to touch on something that you brought up because that's, uh, you know, as I told you earlier, uh, you know, I came across you and your story and your music relatively recently when, um, you know, I saw that, that a track, uh, you know, your track Neighbors, which, you release on sound uh, which mm-hmm. is an nft marketplace nfts are non-fungible tokens for you know for all the newbies out there uh released last year um and then four days after that you dropped it onto streaming platforms and you know just a few days ago you know after about four months you just crossed one million streams on spotify which you know which is huge congratulations um, thank you i appreciate that and and uh you know to your point it's you know, it's much more common to see people sort of having a peripheral understanding of what's happening in Web3 and, and being intrigued by it, so you, you know, especially as a Web2 artist, and especially as people are starting to see the narratives around like, oh, you can, you know, there's a, this is like an ownership layer to, to the internet and like I have more autonomy and I can, you know, actually own my relationships with my fans and have more direct, you know, more direct the connections, direct et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, so there's a lot of curiosity, I think, from Web2 artists um, that, you know, who, who are interested in being involved or getting involved, you know, with Web3. And that that's become kind of a, you know, traditional onboarding, you know, I guess kind of path. But, I, you know, to your point, it's, it's, you know, much rarer to see like someone go Web3 native, release something on a platform like Sound and then go to Spotify and see a lot of success there. 
And, you know, would love to dive into that a little bit more and understand kind of what your approach was to that, what your strategy was and, you know, what you think is, you know, responsible for that, for seeing that success on Spotify as well. Before I answer that question, I just want to say one thing. And this is to traditional artists that are looking to get into Web3. I think people, again, speaking to intentionality, people mm-hmm. can tell when you're like, coming into the space and have good intentions versus if you're trying to get a quick buck. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, to be frank, there are a lot of people who came into Web3 during the bull rush, but yeah. in the bear market are nowhere to be found, right? And I right. think, like, I want to give credit to folks like Snoop Dogg or mm-hmm. Illmind, who are like traditional music artists that have learned how to really leverage, you know, and build in Web3 the right way. Snoop Dogg um, actually did, has done a few drops with Sound XYZ, and I was a part mm-hmm. of one of them um, cool. that he did on 420, along with Iman Europe, Maroof, and Black Dave. And that approach of being a legacy artist, but then saying, who in Web3 hip-hop is doing stuff? And let me amplify and create opportunities to amplify who is already on the ground building hmm. rather than, you know, like Chris Brown coming and dropping a PFP project with nothing going on and it flops. It's like <laughs> people can, can, can tell that type of shit. So I just, yeah. I just want to say that first and foremost, um, just kind of like recognizing who's actually doing stuff in the space and try to genuinely interact and, and maybe even amplify those people in a way. As far as my approach to Web3 and, 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 and as far as like going back to traditional music, I think you have to look at Web3 and Web2 and it depends on what your goals are, right? I think everyone, every artist's goals is different. Like, um, so for me, I have an active Web2 audience that mm-hmm. preceded Web3. So when I got into Web3 and I was building in Web3, for a second, I felt like there were people who were in Web2 that saw that and were like, hey, are you not releasing this music on DSPs anymore? And then I recognized I don't want to just abandon my, my, the, the people who support me in, in Web2 because I want to prioritize and build in Web3. So the idea of kind of embracing a hybrid role where I can build and have a direct relationship with my, with my fans and my supporters and my community and grow with them and also even collaborate with those people but then also to people who don't want to have that deep of a relationship and just want to consume what I'm putting out, I'm still feeding that beast. So recognizing that early was like, okay, like I want to figure out how I can prioritize things here. Cause I was seeing a lot of people also mint old work that they would put out on DSPs years prior and then release it in web three. So I'm like, why would it, you know, I, I kind of looked at it like a company soft launching a product it's like okay like what if i put out this song this new song i made i'm gonna put it out and see how web3 interacts with it and you know i'll post it on you know i know that on twitter it is way more web3 than like instagram so like if i'm posting what i'm doing in web3 on instagram and you know it's not getting as much engagement maybe than just regular stuff i was posting so i would identify and see okay well People on Instagram aren't going to be as gun ho about it, but if I position it or present it in a way that at least intrigues my Web2 audience to understand what I'm doing over here, then maybe there could be some crossover. So like noticing that people 
if they liked the record on Instagram, if I posted it on my story, they'd be like, yo, when is this coming out on DSPs? And I'd go, huh? Like, it seems like my Web 2 audience is missing out on my Web 3 releases, but I still want them to be a part of the release. So let me put this out on DSPs because I'm seeing people asking me, oh, can you put this out on stream? Like, it's really good. And I started to adopt, like, okay, like, I'm going to look at these as two different rollouts. But then honestly, I don't, you know, because of two, there are two things I also want to note. Like, on Spotify, uh, to, as of today, I, actually, I just crossed over 200,000 monthly listeners on Spotify. Oh, and nice. that's, that's, that's crazy. And, you know, I'm, I'm super blessed and grateful for that. But the one thing I'm, you know, again, early in my Web3 journey that I recognize is, you know, to speak to my point now of like, I can have 200,000 monthly listeners on Spotify, but I don't know any of them. I can't identify any of them. I can't say, thanks, Scott in Arizona, (laughs) or thank you, you know, Joanne in in Ireland. I can't, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. So I have to like, so like that was where I was like, okay, well, I want to know exactly who is fucking with me who's supporting me and let me find ways to empower and amplify those people and the way i was presenting it made web two nate people like people who are just listening to me on dsps who want to be and have this deeper relationship i onboard where i'm like okay here's a space where you can kind of learn or i can at least share what i know and i've onboarded a lot of artists that like are going and starting to mention do their thing but beyond that understanding that uh also experiences regardless of whether you're in web 2 or web 3 it's a sh- like live experiences are what make people fans the easiest there have been many times you know i've gone to a show and i didn't know who was performing and i seen them and i'm like oh they're dope let me go follow them or let me engage with them and i think that like we look at these web 3 conferences that happen and they're super big they're super dope like a lot of money spent but then you know people who are not in the know of web three can still go there and interact and, and, and be in the experience and, and see dope art or see music or see this show or see some 3d art or whatever the fuck. Right. But ultimately like, it's like, there's a reason that movie theaters have closed during the pandemic. People like having a shared experience, like right. with whatever it is that we're consuming. Um, right. That's just like society. Right. So I think I'm like, I'm going to meet people where they're at. I'm not going to force Web3 on anybody, but I'm going to make experiences where these two communities have to interact or intersect. So right. like the power of that, because then those people start to build relationships within your community, outside of you, you know? And I think the more I make these types of spaces and the more I've set to do that with releases, whether it's putting it out on Web3, on sound, or like on catalog, applying some utility, and then putting it out on DSPs weeks later and kind of just, I experimented with that too. I, if you look at all of my releases last year in 2022, every song I put out on DSPs came with a really came out on web three first and sold. I did that with hmm. several records and uh, yeah. And some saw like traditional success. Some didn't. And I just kept going and sure enough, like, you know, a certain, like a few records got real traction. Like First in the Fam got a decent amount of traction. Records like as of recent, but the Neighbors was what I put out in September with Elu J and J Rob selection, and that shit in four months has is gone crazy on DSPs. So 
I think I'm not afraid to fail and I'm always down to experiment. And I think in a, especially in a bear market, like this is the time to experiment. So I just Absolutely. spent a lot of time in the space, like trying out releases or I'm going to try this and I'm going to drop it the next day or try a week after so I can try to see if I could do a pre-save campaign as well as promote it on Web3. Like I just did that with every release and tried it out and saw what worked and saw what didn't and applied it to the next release. And um, to end this question, um, I always refer to this baseball analogy where the top MLB players, um, they bat at about 300, mm-hmm. which means that they hit three out of 10 and they're, mm-hmm. they're considered the best players in the league. And that mean, which means they miss seven times. Yeah. So like even, even baseball players that are like batting 200 are looked at and will still make the all-star game and they're missing eight out of 10. So it's like, let's not focus on the num like you trying one thing and then if it fails, then fuck it. It's like focus on the attempts. If mm-hmm. I make 10 beats in a day and three of them are dope, <laughs> word i made three i got three beats i'm gonna use let so me make another 10 <laughs> make another 10 or if i dm not to promote shilling but if i'm reaching out to people and i dm 10 people and three people hit me back i'm gonna reach out to another 10 and build the community mm-hmm. of people that are engaging with you mm-hmm. not again promoting over shilling but just an idea of like even even cold emails like if you shoot your shot enough times and are not worried about the end result and just the attempts, you'll be surprised. If I make 100 beats yeah. by that logic, I got 30 beats I can use. Yeah. You know, and I think that same way in this, you know, with Web3, Web2, experiment, see what works and see what doesn't. And if it doesn't, try it again, do something else. Like, don't get caught up on like something working or something not because this space is still being defined. You know, like there's so much room for growth and improvement in this space and it's all going to come. It's all going to happen. We're going to continue to expand these tools we have, but ultimately Mm -hmm. we just got to try. We just got to just show up. And these are simple things we can control. I can't control where the bull market or the bear market. I can't control the market, but I can control what I build every day. Mm -hmm. And I think that if I just, if you, if we just take it a day at a time with anything you do, like you're bound to see success because you're just in love with the process more so than like where you're going to go with it. So that, that I say that ought to say that's kind of like all of that kind of meshed into how I'm looking at web three, looking at web two more like marketing than like, cause I'm not worried about what I make off of the stream. Spotify pays a point zero zero three cents or some crazy shit for like stream. Mm-hmm. If I look at DSPs and look at web two as marketing, that goes to push a record beyond Web3, then yeah, I'm going to treat it as such and not worry mm-hmm. about what I'm making on there because I can make ETH off of my releases. So, and then reinvest, reinvest, reinvest what I make off of a Web3 sale back into the marketing of it on the Web2 or pay for yeah. a video to be shot or some visuals or can, you know what I mean? So like you can, you can and then also, with all these brands and companies that are trying to get into Web3, the same way I mentioned big traditional artists, if you're a brand or a company and you want to learn about Web3, go pay attention to who's in the space and who's building and who's doing all this stuff. And that will, at least from the space and from people who are in it, will reflect well of, wow, 
they reached out to him because he's doing stuff in the space. They didn't reach out to somebody who was willy-nilly just in here for whatever. They reached out to people who are really here. Right. The people who are building right now are the people who really want to be here. I said a lot. I'd be saying <laughs> a lot, bro. I'm sorry. I know. <laughs> no. I, I no, man, that's what we're here for. You asked me good questions, so I can for. just riff on this for like 20 minutes at a time. So let me. No, man, this is great. This is great. <laughs> no, please don't dial back. Keep it running. I think you made a lot of important points. And, and I think, um, you know, for me, like the past half year of, of you know, being in the bear market has, has been one of the most exciting moments in Web3. Um, it, you know, because so many people who are here for the speculative, you know, short-term gains that you know, crypto, I think, you know, is mostly known for, you know, according to like mainstream media and mainstream audiences. But the people who have stuck around are like building really cool shit and we're seeing that day in, day out. And there's so much cool stuff happening. And it's nice knowing that the people who are here actually want to be here mm-hmm. and, and, you know, build something better. I also think that one of the things that makes Web3 so strong is like how tight knit you know, the community is. It's still pretty small. Like there's not that many people here. And, and you know, and I think that oftentimes the goal, uh, like you know, a lot of people seeing how much better, how much more equitable Web3 can, can make the world. You know, one of the goals is to onboard more people into this space and teach them, you know, why and how to use these tools, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, what happens, for instance, if, if we, you know, start to scale more, like if you have 200,000 collectors, for instance, you know, of your NFTs, as, you know, as you do monthly listeners on Spotify, you're not going to be able, you're not going to have the time to, you know, reach out and engage with every single one of those people. Um, and I wanted to provide that context and then, you know, also touch on, you know, you're currently crowdfunding for your album, I'm Tired you know, of Being Hyper Surveilled. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, one of the things that you wrote on there you know, felt connected to this. Your web two has failed the black community and its ability to truly capitalize on our culture that is exploited in, in a performative fashion. Every single day, we can't let history repeat itself with web three. Mm-hmm. So, so with all that in mind, once web three does inevitably scale to a certain degree, to whatever happens, you know, what can we do now? What can we do today to avoid the pitfalls of web two to ensure that, you know, the black community and other people pushing the margins aren't aren't exploited, you know, in this new world that we don't just recreate the same shit that, you know, we're trying to fix right now. I love smart contracts because I think one, the transparency is amazing to see what exactly mm-hmm. is happening and mm-hmm. who is benefiting off of what. But I think when we talk about splits, when we talk about revenue in traditional music, you know. Some artists are never don't give credits to certain people and some artists don't give fair splits to people. So like just that transparency being open and available is great. Two, I think because of smart contracts, I you know, I I save thousands of dollars on legal. You know, when I go do if I'm trying to get a feature, if I'm trying to do something in traditional music, I got to look at a 15, 20 page contract sometimes with all these different clauses mm-hmm. and things and have to pay for lawyers to make sure I'm not getting fucked in that deal or make sure that there isn't anything that is predatory or anything of that nature. And I think if I'm going to do business with anybody, let that be a one sheet. 
I don't need to have all these terms and all these all this legalese that I have to maneuver around if I'm going to do right by you. So I think just that in itself will prevent at least will lower significantly lower the chance of being finessed uh, mm. in web like than you would in traditional music. I just let's mm. just start there. I think that right. that's super important. Um, one. I also think that as far as ways to like, and I'll speak to, I guess the negative reception of web three, like we get so much bad press from like people talking about, you know, how people ask me about FTX and like, hmm. if I'm okay in this bear market and I'm just like, hmm. it's not as sexy as a, as a title for like a, like a editorial to say web three is empowering independent creators and artists like it's never done before mm-hmm. like we're not talking about that and i think people see ftx and see all this type of stuff happening and you know scams it's like there's scams that happen every day there's scams with we, we bail out banks who go mm-hmm. bankrupt <laughs> you know what i mean like i think today they just reported something about zelle and bank of america and americans losing like a shit ton of money because Zelle is having a problem. And it's like, we, we got to look at this technology beyond NFTs. We got to look at like the sovereignty of owning your intellectual property. You got to look at like, mm-hmm. like being able to have direct to consumer relationships with people that are, that don't need a th- third party. We've seen Instagram and Twitter shut down and then it's like, okay, well, how do I talk to people? How do I reach out to mm-hmm. my community? You can't. So we having these, tools and having this technology allows us to ha- not rely on these these companies or these third parties that aren't necessary honestly in terms of wanting to cultivate those relationships with who's mostly supporting you so i think just normalizing that topic of like empowering people and information and providing resources so that people can share because like education is a big thing in the space there are people who are teaching classes there are people who are making twitter spaces to share information and resources Mm -hmm. with people who are in the space there are videos like there are people starting to make platforms to share uh how to get into web3 like break down terms it's like education is how you prevent yourself from getting like fucked over because when you look at i don't know like and this is just make my my perspective i come i i i saw some success in traditional music before i got into web3 i was doing tours with like jpeg mafia or opening for j electronica or doing stuff with injury reserve or mm-hmm. or or collaborating with 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 bigger artists or like working with tori ma or like mix up with mick jenkins like i i've had to be around shit and see people would not know the business, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like, or like people in Web3 sometimes when they find success in Web3 but don't have traditional business or traditional music business or experience, they kind of find Web3 and are saying, fuck the industry. But like, mm-hmm. you can't really say fuck the industry because unless, unless your goals are different. But I think mm-hmm. for, for folks who are like, understand the business, you have to treat Web3 the same. So like, make sure you know what you're talking about make sure you, you you're as well read in that so that you don't get fucked over because people who know their business are usually people who don't get fucked over in traditional music so mm-hmm. i think education is important to prevent these things i think resources and just to go back and touch up on 
uh, smart contracts prevent all of that. And, but that comes from learning, you know, I'm somebody that like is personally onboarded so many people. And I'm a point of reference for a lot of people in my community that are like, Hey, like, you know, more about this than I do. And just kind of paying mm-hmm. it forward. Each one, teach one is kind of like the approach with me, at least as far as what I know and what I share. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not a gatekeeping person. So I don't mind sharing what I know because I'm confident in myself and what I'm building. So I think in order for us to prevent, you know, the same things from happening is to know the business, to understand traditional business and music, but also understand Web3 and learn. I'm still learning every day. Like, and I, and there's going to be a lot more to learn, you know, as we keep building in this space. But and you can learn as you go. Um, right. I think, and and to touch on uh, on one thing, when when you understand Web three and understand what you know can earn and build your community of collectors and all this stuff and can earn revenue for your music, it changes the it changes the conversation when you talk to traditional platforms and stuff. Like hmm. I've had I've had contracts offered me before from labels and stuff. And I would see advances be really like low because they're lowballing you and what you're worth and what your leverage is. Now it's obviously a very different conversation, but it's one of the things where, you know, on my crowdfund, I was able to, you know, when ETH was at its, uh, at like, you know, three or four K, like I could raise like 40, $50,000 on my own mm-hmm. independently. That's not recoupable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's, that's different. Like you can go get a deal, but you're going to have to recoup that money. You're going to have to mm-hmm. make it pay it back. And like mm-hmm. some people don't understand that when they take deals, they think right. it's, it's, a, it's a loan. It's a bank. It's a, it's a over, it's essentially a bank loan with bad terms. Right. So like if you're in web three and can create leverage and can build and raise your own money to fund yourself, it puts you in a different side of the table when talking to anybody, especially if money is involved. So I think, you know, not being able, being able to say I'm worth more than what you're telling me and say, look, look what this, look what my work is doing and speak for itself. Mm-hmm. So I think that that just empowers people to not go for bad opportunities. Like not all money is good money. So like, I just, I think these are things that are helpful in knowing so that like when it's time or whatever you're, you know, based on whatever your goals are, ultimately Equipping yourself with all this prevents any type of bad or malpractice. And I think Web3 people are generally all come from some sort of BS or some sort of red tape in their own industry that when they came mm-hmm. to Web3 and, you know, you don't have to wait nine months to get a royalty check. You can get paid instantly. It's like this. These, this it's like, why wouldn't you want to learn this? Why? You know what I mean? So it's like that. that that's my two cents on the on all of that is, you know, equip yourself with information and surround yourself with people that like will share what they know and, you know, understand the business of both web three and of traditional music. And it all makes sense, but it takes time to do that. And that desire yeah. to want to know those things. Yeah, totally. You gotta be patient. You gotta you know, be willing to learn, ask questions and not be an asshole. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's not, it's yeah. not hard. Yeah, easier said yeah. than done sometimes but. totally um cool man i love that answer uh and i just have one more question for you and it's it's um you know mostly unrelated to everything else we've been talking about but it's something i like to ask everybody um 
So to put you on the spot a little bit, you're going to a desert island. You get to bring three albums with you. What are they? <laughs> That's so crazy you asked me this because I'm literally in a desert at Joshua Tree. And <laughs> yeah, I you are uh, in a desert. was just, I, I asked a similar question, so I'm semi-prepared. The three albums okay, cool. I would bring are, I'll say Thriller. Nice. Um, I will say Speaker Box Love Below by Outcast. Nice. And I will say, you know what? I'll do Stevie Wonder song, uh, songs in uh, a, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Stevie Wonder uh, songs in uh, songs in the key of life. That's what I meant. I was like blank on the There, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. No, those are great answers. I feel like, uh, you know, on a desert, if you're on, if you're on a desert island, uh, you know, those three will keep you, you know, relatively happy. And, uh, you know, you might as well bring you know, some happy, soulful music with you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what, are, what are your three albums? You don't mind me asking. Oh man. Uh, oh man, I hate when I get asked this question, <laughs> but it's only, it's only fair. It's only fair to turn it back to me. So my, my answer changes, um, you know, as it does, you know, it's the same, same, same question. Same. Yeah. It. It's, it's like, you know, it would be hard to come up with a, you know, top hundred list, but, um, the three that are coming to mind right now, uh, two of them, I say pretty often, one of them is this album, Acabo Chirare by Novos Baianos, which is a Brazilian band. Um, one would be the Campfire Head Phase by Boards of Canada. Word. Um, and then, you know, maybe I'll go with Kind of Blue by Miles Davis as the third. Miles Davis, you can never go wrong with him. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's uh, good music for any mood, really. Mm-hmm. Those are my three. Yeah, cool, man. So before we sign off, you know, where's the best place for people listening, you know, to follow you, to get involved, to support you, um, you know, to learn more about what you're doing? On Twitter and Instagram and just all socials, it's just my name is Heno. So the words my name is H-E-N-O. On all streaming platforms, I'm just Heno with a period. The period is important. So it is H-E-N-O period. Cool. Cool. Thank you. Um, yeah, so go support, you know, Henna, go check him out, you know, and uh, listen to his music, check out, you know, the album Crowdfund, see all the incredible work that he's doing and all the organizations that, that he's working with and supporting um, across, you know, criminal justice, restorative justice, you know, and other types of social impact. It's really, you know, it's really amazing, admirable work. And, you know, again, really appreciate your time. And, you know, it's been a great conversation. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much for having me, man, and, and appreciate you for, you know, tapping in and, and making space for me to speak for like an hour, <laughs> you know, like, I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. More than happy to. I really enjoyed it. All right. That's it for this episode of Big Brother and the Hodling Company. I'm your host, McKeegan Voice, and you can keep up with me and all the latest Web3 music trends on Twitter at McKeegan. That's M-A-C-E-A-G-O-N. This show is a production of Decentral Media. And you can visit us at decentral.io and remember, only you can prevent and fend off. Big Brother.